Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Today, we will be discussing Shabbat Daf Lamed Aleph 31. So before we get into this stuff, and it was quite a meaty daf, um, I just want to remind everybody about our Zoom Daf Yomi catch-up. We'll be doing, God willing, on Chal- uh, on April 12th at 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, 5 p.m. in Israel. We really look forward uh, to learning with all of you and taking this as an opportunity to catch up with people. Uh, so, you know, look around for the Zoom link and we'll be um, sending out some more information about that. I think it's called uh, Daylight Savings Time. Just we're not we're not confused about the clock this time. We mean the time that it is. You know, whatever that label yes. is on the Eastern Seaboard, if you're on in the yes. West Coast, it'll ten, be the hour 10 on the Eastern Seaboard, yes. 10 on the Eastern Seaboard and 5, uh, 5, 5 p.m. in Israel. So this staff really has uh, some of the most famous stories about Hillel and Shammai. And I think it is worthy of our time uh, to spend, you know, to really go through them and, and think about them a little bit and consider them. So as we've discussed before, and I know we spent a little more time sort of on Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai, but Hillel and Shammai are the last of the five Zugot, which is sort of this pre-Tanaitic period. Um, And it takes place, uh, you know, it's like first century BCE. Um, Hillel, interestingly, was actually born in Babel, was not even born in Israel. And we'll get to that Gemara that describes who he is later on. Um, And with all of the Zugot, with all of the pairs, uh, the first one is the Nasi, uh, which is, I think, a little bit more like the political leader. And the second one is the Av Beitim, um, is the head of the court. And that was Shammai's job. Uh, we'll also discuss in a further podcast when we get to that Gemara that actually Hillel's first partner uh, was not Shammai, but was somebody else, which is interesting. But here, this Gemara really focuses on sort of the difference in personality uh, between Hillel and Shammai. Um, And I think a couple of things here before we get into the meat of the text, it's interesting to see that the Gemara is sort of very willing to be, you know, to praise Hillel and we see why he's praised. Um, But on the other hand, to really be sort of critical of Shammai. Um, And I give the Gemara credit for that. I think today we live in a world, certainly in certain segments, uh, where we're sometimes nervous to say something critical, particularly when it's around our rabbis, or around our leaders. And um, and I think here, the Gemara is using this as an opportunity to really think about, you know, what makes somebody a good leader and a good teacher and how people connect with people and that that's a really important piece of how we lead. So as all of Masach and Shabbat has been, this is a Gemara that really starts on the daf before. Um, and so I'm going to start at the bottom of Lamed of 30. Tana Rabbanan. Um, our sages teach us, So the sages teach us, a person should always be patient like Hillel and not be impatient like Shammai. And now it's going to go through a very famous story about Hillel. So there was a story about two people who made a bet with each other. Amru, kol et Hillel yitol so they said, if somebody can go and aggravate Hillel, so it's clear from the story that Hillel obviously had a reputation of being a person with infinite patience. So if you can aggravate him, you will get 400, um, 400 zoos. Right, I'm going to go ahead 
and I'm going to aggravate him. So it was Erev Shabbat. The Hillel Chafaf et Rosho. And Hillel was, what was he doing? He was washing his hair on Shabbat. Now, again, this reminded me of the story that we read a couple of Daphim ago about Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eli, right? And the preparations that he would make to welcome in Shabbat and that washing, bathing yourself was one of those things. So here he is, Hillel. He's washing his hair. And again, I love this detail because I think it's trying to tell us something of like how human Hillel was, right? He's just taking care of sort of his basic needs, but also it's trying to tell us that this person really interrupted him sort of in what's really like a private moment for a great man, right? It's, it's like interrupting him while he's in the, while he's in the shower, okay? So this person goes to the front of his house. And again, he must have known that this was a time also where you don't bother people, right? Like we tend not to bother people Arab Shabbat. So I think this always was true. Mikan Hillel, Mikan Hillel, right? And he starts shouting out, you know, who, uh, you know, uh, where's Hillel? Who here is Hillel? Who here is Hillel? Nitzatepiatzali Kreto. So Hillel quickly wraps himself out and he goes outside, right? So you can really picture how this is, right? It's like if you heard a knock on the door or your doorbell ring and you're in the shower, you quickly throw your robe on and he walks outside. And again, not Mechubad at all. This is not respectful for somebody who's, this is the Nasi we're talking about, right? Who does this? Amar Lo, he says, Bini, my son, what do you need? I have a question to ask. He says, ask my son. Why are the um, heads of the Babylonians um, uh, oval? And again, also, this is insulting to Hillel. And this is why I mentioned it at the beginning, because Hillel was born in Babel. So in a way, what he's saying to Hillel is, your head looks funny. Okay, so he answers him, right? In a very beautiful way, he answers this, and he says, you ask such an important question, right? Because their their midwives are not very smart. In other words, that the midwives there didn't know how to shape their heads. Now, when I read the story, I remember something that my father, Zechona Levarcha, once told me that um, we, you know, I we've mentioned this before, that I grew up in Boston, and Rev Salavechik, and I grew up in his shul, um, used to give a shir on Motzei Shabbat. And, you know, the Rub certainly had a personality, in YU at least, of being a little bit fiery with his Talmidim. And my father said one time he was at the shir in Boston, and somebody asked very seriously a question where he said, what's the significance of having colored Hanukkah candles? And the Rub spent 20 minutes answering that. And my father said he really learned, like, this is what it meant to be, to be a rabbi of a community that you take every single question seriously and you answer it with patience, right? And so I think this is exactly what Hillel is doing here. So what does this person do? He goes and he waits an hour. And again, he comes back. He says, where's Hillel? Where's Hillel? I guess Hillel was taking a very long shower, but he, you know, quickly wraps himself up again. He goes out. And again, very nicely says, my son, what do you need? And he says, I have a question to ask. He says, please ask me, my son, right? These, these people who lived in this place called Tadmor, why do they not see well? Why is their eyesight bleary? Again, you ask such an important question. Because they live among the sand and the implication is the sand gets in their eyes and they can't see well. So for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the third scenario. 
Um, but, you know, for a third time, he waits an hour, this man, and again, goes back, calls out for Hillel. Hillel runs out, has to wrap himself up in his clothing, again, calls him Bani, again, says, please ask me whatever you want. Here, he asks a question, you know, why are the feet of Africans so wide? And again, he Hillel reassures this man, uh, you know, you're asking a very important question. And he says it's because uh, the Africans have to walk in marshlands and therefore their feet, you know, the idea being that their feet had to widen in order to enable them uh, to walk through those swampy areas. It's also interesting to note that the person is not asking anything halakhic. He's sort of just asking him to observe things in the world and to give his opinion on it. So now I just want to read the end here. Amar Lo. So the man finally says, and he says, I have many more questions to ask you, but I'm afraid you're going to get angry. What's the meaning of this here? Is he almost, does he feel bad about the bet that he made? Is he realizing that there's no way that he's going to actually win it? Is this a way of actually trying to anger Hillel by sort of admitting that he's worried he's going, you know, he could um, get him angry? So I, I think it's interesting to think a little bit about what the motivation of this statement is to Hillel. So Hillel wraps himself and sits before him. Amar, and I think it's also interesting that Hillel, who's the Nasi, is sitting before this person. He's not even standing before this person. Amar lo, Right? So he says, Hillel says to this man, any question you have, you should go ahead and ask me. Amar Yisrael. So he turns back to Hillel and he says, are you really the man that the people say is the Nasi? I think he just can't get over it. The Nasi is sitting in front of him and saying, you can have as much of my time on Arab Shabbat as you possibly could need. Amar lo, hey, Hillel replies back, yes. Amar lo, the man says to him, Ima tahu, lo Israel. He says, if, it, if it's true, right, if it's you, there cannot be anybody else like you uh, in, in Israel. Amar lo, he says to him, Bini, mi ma. He says, my son, why? Almost like Hillel assumes like, no, this is how people behave. We, we have infinite patience with each other. Amar lo, he replies to him, He says, because of you, right, I lost 400 zoos. So Amar lo, so Hillel replies to him, and this is amazing, because you would think Hillel would be upset when he hears that he was really just, this was all a bet. So he says to him in the end, he says, be careful of your ruach, right? In other words, he's saying you shouldn't aggravate yourself this way. Why would you have done this to yourself? And then the Gemara, right? And then it's not clear if Hillel is continuing to say this or this is, I, I think it's Hillel continuing to talk. Right. And saying Hillel's worthy of having you lose 100 zoos and even another, sorry, 400 zoos and either in even another 400 zoos because Hillel will not get upset. Right. The Hillel lo yakpid. Hillel just cannot be angered. And I think this really ultimately shows us why Hillel was deserving to be the Nasi. Um, and this midah of just treating every person where they're at and that. He also recognizes, Hillel, that this is his job as the Nasi. He needs to be there for people and to reassure them that what they have to say is important. And this is a particular type of leadership, right? Very often we know we have leaders who sort of operate under the level of like, I have, you know, I, I'm the leader, right? And they may, you know, have a person who sort of um, interferes between them and the public. And here we have Hillel who's willing to sit next, sits before the person, Yashav Lefanav, and interact with them and tell them everything that you have to say is important. 
and 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 even more so, the lesson that Hillel tries to tell him is right. You need to be careful with your spirit. It's not basically saying it's not good for a person to get aggravated or to get angry. That's just not how Hillel chooses to live. Um, I think you know. I I I don't know. I just love this story. I think there's just a lot. We I could go on and talk about it longer, but I'm gonna hand it over to Anne and hear what you have to say about this. And then you can work through some of the uh, stories about Shammai. Yeah, I'm eager to get to Shammai. But also, I'm like, you've just worded something very interestingly, I think, that you said, you know, this is how he chooses to live. And I wonder, I always wonder, to what extent is our, our innate personalities, right? You know, it, was he a slow to anger personality or did he train himself to be slow to anger? I don't mean slow to anger, to, to be patient, right? Like, did he come that way or did he, did he work at it? Um, and I know we don't have an answer, but I think it's an interesting question also, of course, about how we conduct ourselves and to what extent can we improve upon our natural characters. Right. No, but the Have Zahir Baruchacha to me seems to imply it's something you could be, you could work on. It's not just his innate re- ability. That's reassuring. Yeah. I mean it, right? That is reassuring. <laughs> so now we have a story of a non-Jew who comes before Shammai. And we're going to see Shammai is quite a different personality. Amar lo, kama torot yesh lechem. The non-Jew says to Shammai, how many Torahs do you have? And now I don't know whether the people who were asking Hillel were trying to provoke him and he simply wouldn't be provoked. I don't know whether this is a serious question or it's supposed to be, again, an attempt to, to rile him, right? But he answers straight up, or it seems so. Amar lo shtayim, Torah shbechzav and Torah shbalpeh. We have two Torahs, the written law and the oral law. Amar lo, the non-Jew says to him, he says, I, I accept your written Torah, which of course is true, right? Meaning the non-Jews here are very often, it's a, it's very sm- simply Christianity, right? The early Christians, I accept your written Torah, but I don't accept your oral Torah. So convert me, please, says this non-Jew, just so you could teach me the written Torah. Um, Shammai scolds him, right? Basically, and kiss and kicks him out. Right? This is it's a chutzpah that you're that you're asking. You know, I've just told you that there's two Torahs, and you're going to tell me you only want to learn half of it. And you think that that's going to be good enough? Get out. Um, Hillel, right? The same guy comes to Hillel. So Hillel converts him, and the and he, and the the day comes. Right, the first day he teaches him Aleph Bet Gimel Dalid. Afikle. He teaches him. He the next day he teaches them the backwards, the alphabet exactly backwards, right? But didn't you tell me yesterday that it was the other order, the the reverse order, the forward order, shall we say? You believed me. Hillel says you believe me for the order of the alphabet. You you relied on me, so believe me also when I tell you that there's a, an oral Torah which I always think is it's a very well-known story for such a good reason, because the, you know, we talk about Hillel being patient, but it's not that he's lacking in humor and it's not that he's lacking in chokhmah, right? Like it's a very sharp response, even if it's said very gently, right? And presumably, right, that's the end of the story. He, he made his point and presumably now the guy will accept the oral Torah as well. There's another non-Jew who came before Shammai, it does make me wonder, like, what was really going on in the cultural milieu that people kept, like, popping up to ask Yeah, to that, ask people wanted, that people wanted to be converting, yeah. 
right? Yeah. So this is the one foot story, right? That convert me. Um, I want, I, I'm willing to be converted. You should convert me on, on the condition that you can do the whole thing while I stand on one foot. So Shammai pushes him out with a tool, a builder's uh, measure in his hand, which is, again, a very strong reaction, except for it's clear that he's being provocative, right? There's an obnoxiousness in this question. So the fact that Shammai takes him seriously should not necessarily count against Shammai, right? We think of Shammai as being more impatient and, and less tolerant in the question, but the question was not designed to be tolerant. The, te- the question was to, to, you know, to provoke Shammai to begin with. So the fact that it worked, I'm not sure that's necessarily fair to hold it against Shammai. Ba'alif Hillel, Yare, Hillel converts him. Amarlo, lo That which is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. Right? This is the flip side, of course, of v'yafter lecha. Kamolcha, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Zohi kol ha-tarakula, that's all the Torah. Ve'idach perushahu, and everything else is commentary. Zil gemor, go and learn. And there we get it from there, right? <laughs> Meaning, <laughs> go and learn, right? The rest is commentary. So Hillel's point is, again, it, it's Hillel's not taking the obnoxious point. You want to learn it on one foot? I will tell you the essence of the Torah on one foot. But that's not all there is to it. And the rest of it, you know, and again, it's this gentle, very sharp rebuke. It's a very different response from Shammai, but it's not so different either because his response is like, you can't do this on one foot. I've given you what you asked for. Now you give me, right? Now you go and sit and learn. You know, it's the contrast between the two of them is really quite astounding. And I think it does, you know, make us understand better. Why is it that of all the pairs that we sort of see, you know, the schools of Beit Halam and Beit Shammai really did sort of diverge from each other because we see that they're the rabbis, the heads of these schools really had such strikingly different personalities. And maybe some of that nuance, they were able to get along with each other, but that might have been difficult for their students to be able to do. Um, and, you know, and I also... also Sorry, when you think about who gravitates to what kind of teacher... Right. right. It makes sense that the students themselves would be more different than the teachers themselves and not just personality. That's a great point. I never thought about it that way. And I think that's true. Right. So it may have even been, you know, sort of the more Harif and patient student, they go to Shammai and the more patient, you know, uh, you know, all loving student goes to Hillel. And so therefore, when their students go out in the world, that difference becomes even more uh, start. So we will continue, uh, you know, throughout our learning of the DAF more and more to learn about Hillel and Shammai. And there's many beautiful Gemaras that fill these pages, but, uh, you know, we both felt this was an important one to go through. Um, I want to end with just one thing. You know, the rest of the DAF gets into a very nice discussion about the importance of Yerat Hashem, of fearing God. Um, and it begins with a passage of Reish Lakish, where he quotes a pasuk from Yeshayahu from Paraklamet Gimel, chapter 33, where he basically uses every word there to mean one of the satyrs, one of the main, um, uh, you know, books of, of Mishnah, of oral law. But ultimately, the pasuk concludes, right, uh, by saying, you know, um, but Yerat Hashem ki otzaro, right, that even with all of the wisdom and all of the knowledge that somebody has, 
right? The fear of God is his treasure. That's really what's most important. And then it goes through a bunch of statements of Amurayim to show why Yirat Hashem is important and that having a life full of Torah and mitzvot without Yirat Hashem is just that that's not really what's valid or it's not, it's not an as worthy or uh, Torah and mitzvot. So I just wanted to point that out. I think that's also a very interesting theme. Um, and, you know, just to pay attention to how is Torah learning spoken about? And here it's clear that Torah learning just within a vacuum for an intellectual pursuit is not looked upon as something great, that it really needs to come with uh, either it needs to start off with a Yerat Hashem or it should motivate you towards a Yerat Hashem. And again, I don't have a good translation. I hate the term fear of God. I think it's more meant to be like being in awe of God. Um, but that's how sort of the rest of the daft concludes. Uh, there's a very famous mission on the bottom. We're going to talk about it at the next episode because <laughs> that's going to be its whole, whole, own episode. Um, so, Anne, do you have anything else to say before we uh, finish up here? I just want to know just this distinction between scholarship and um, Yerat Hashem and the rest of it, right? So this goes back a very long time. But when I was in high school, I was in NCSY. And NCSY was known for its awards banquet at the end of the year. And they had several different awards. And one of them was Torah study, right? Meaning the person who had dedicated the most time or the most significant amount of time, especially for some people who were coming from, you know, a non-Torah exposure kind of homes, right? But so one award was Torah study. Another award was called Torah achievement. And I think the whole awards thing is a little bit specious and a little bit difficult. And I'm sure there's a value for it for high school kids and everything. I'm not knocking it really, but I'm not, I, my goal here in mentioning this is to point out that there is something in this experience of life, let's say, that we can call Torah achievement. And I don't think that we're going to have an awards banquet about it, but I think that the, that it goes, that it takes that Torah study and it, and it's what happens when you internalize your learning and it happens when you live a life of Torah and and you're living and breathing right? that your insides and your outsides are all the same. And it's not just scholarship, not just an intellectual exercise, but but it even if it, even if you care about it and it's not just a game, right? Even when you care about it, it's still that can still stop short. The harder thing I think to achieve is oh, achieve, right? Is Torah achievement, right? Where do you go with it? And I don't think any of us can answer this question for anybody else, which is, of course, why an awards banquet kind of begs the question. But I do think that it's something that we can ask our, ourselves and say, what am I doing with my Torah? What am I learning and where am I going? And, and what is this to me? So with that, we, I guess, will end with a blessing that all our learning that we do together should, you know, make us think about our purpose in life and lead us to uh, patience of Hillel and to better things in the world around us and deepen our relationship with God. So, uh, so with that, we'll finish. That's our job for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hodgman website. Leave us a comment on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow's death, Anne, you want to say it? <laughs> <laughs> Go and learn. Go and learn.